would like to dispute this fact. We film students know the truth. The most mediocre podcast in the world is made in Australia. The most mediocre podcast is made in dingy southeast of Melbourne. And the most mediocre podcast is made by two tired and delirious film students, Nick and Mon. In many ways, the work of a student is easy. Welcome to As a Film Student. I'm your little rat host, Mon. And I'm the incompetent chef, Nick. And I refer I refuse to accept that label of mediocre. We're bad. Stop lying to the audience. This is not a good pod- podcast, okay? Anyway, today we are joined by a man who I am morally allowed to punch because he's a philosophy student. Um, you are. Um, I'm, I'm here because uh, as a philosophy student, I'm entitled and qualified to speak my mind about any piece of art that I want. And I'm entitled to tell you to shut the fuck up, you goddamn nerd. This is Ash. So, before we go balls deep into some sweaty French testicles, give us a little bit of info about yourself, Ash. We've already talked a lot about balls. I'm, uh, I'm Ash. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm here to talk about Ratatouille. What is your interest in life? Do you have passion? Do you have, like, a reason to, like, a will to live? <laughs> I'm starting to question everything now. What a question. Let's talk about film for you. Like, how does film speak to you in that way? Mm, I mean, I, I really like... I really like art that kind of speaks to many of your senses at once and film is something that does that like through both um through both your ears and your eyes um like all of these memories and thoughts and experiences can just be conjured up um and you can be like completely invited into another world and that's something that Ratatouille kind of as a film like conceptually it also touches on like how Mm -hmm. um pieces of art can really trans like transform you and transport you to a completely another place yeah wow that was a way better answer than i would have said myself i would have just been like movies has color it has sound it has pretty 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 people (laughs) and i'd be like this is why i like film and you're just like it you know opens up a a realm that you can uh, be in um, anyways, uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, you know, uh, is that how you pronounce his name? I don't even know who any of these fucking cock philosophers are, nor do I ever care. Anyways, got a question. If you had one food to cook for your entire life, what would it be and why? Egg. Oh, that's actually not a bad answer. Mm. You can do a lot of things with egg. Yeah. You can do so much with eggs. Like you can do meringue, you can do fried, you can do scrambled, you can do omelette, you can do poached. I love cooking eggs. What would you do, Ash? Is it is this like one in okay, is this like one ingredient in isolation or like one ingredient that you can add anything to? I think it's like a recipe or like anything. Just food. Yeah, well I mean in terms of like a recipe, I I would like I make something called dorse a lot, mm. which is what like South a- like this like southern South Asians make a lot. And it's like fermented it's fermented lentils that you make into like a, a pancake and you fry it um, and you can have it with basically anything and it's delicious. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I would like to eat fried rice for the rest of my life. We, we had it for lunch. We had it for lunch. We made it for mm. lunch. It was really nice. Before we were going to record the Ratatouille episode, we mm. like, let's cook something so we can pretend to be chefs. He was the, he was the head chef and I was the sous chef. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. It was fun. I made it was nice. Because... You know, at the start, how Remy makes them both an omelette. And, like, he Egg. makes himself a little omelette. Oh, that was so uh. cute. 
I know. I love that scene. There's so many eggs in the fridge. I don't know why. So, like, how can I use up the most? I mean, eggs are very good for you. Mm, eggs are great for you. And people, I, I hate this. People, like, take out the yolk. It's so dumb. Yolk's the best like, part. All these, like, health, all these health freaks take out the yolk. It's so stupid because the yolk is where all the vitamin D is, like, good cholesterol, everything. Mm. And the white just has, like, nothing. Exactly. Like, the yolk is my favorite part of the egg. The white actually has a lot of protein. Yeah, but so does the yolk. The yolk has half the protein. Yeah, but the yolk also has the fat. And there's this weird anti-fat movement that happened. Because a, a, a fetus needs to develop that. Back in the 70s. Yeah, because there, there was uh, two... Yeah. Uh, um, major mm, industries that were having a fight in advertising mm. to see who could uh, the... win and claim to be the healthiest. It was sugar versus fat, fat lost. So we all think that fat is inherently bad. And really, it's one of the best... No, it's one of the three main macronutrients that you need to survive. Wow, Nick's really coming through with the Nick, nutrition. Nick knows the nutrition shit. <laughs> Yo, okay. I did it three years. No way. I did three years of food education, man. What do you mean? I did food tech every year until year 11. And then I continued to do food in the form of hospitality in year 12. Yep. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, um... Speaking of food, as you were a chef, Nick. A shitty cook. Let's talk about... Let's talk about Ratatouille. Right. So, you know how we always start a bit with the background and the production? I actually wrote an essay on the production of Ratatouille because the essay prompt was to, like, write about the production of a film or a TV show that you have nostalgia for. And I thought, like, well, I've already done an assignment about Shrek 2... And this boomer, this boomer tutor lecturer that I have is not going to believe that I have nostalgia for the things I actually have nostalgia for. So I'm going to go with Ratatouille. And I actually put in a lot more than my usual effort because at the time it was like my second favorite film. And it was like at the time of my life where I genuinely felt that because like Colette being a woman in the kitchen and that was when I was working in a kitchen and I was like, I felt like I was really uh, taken for granted, which I was until it's a long story. But the thing for that essay is I only got a passing grade, which is weird because usually when I give a shit, it actually translates well. And I was like mad because I was first year. And so I made a meeting with my uh, tutor, who was also the unit coordinator and the lecturer, to talk about what I did wrong. And he said, oh, it's because you weren't critical enough of the production. And it's like, what do you mean? The production was, like, actually bomb as shit. Like, it was great. And, like, it would have been really easy for me to say, oh, Disney has its name on this, therefore I can shit on it, because it's Disney. They're fucking cunts. They can kiss my ass. But that's the thing. Ratatouille was actually Pixar's last film before they were incorporated fully into the Disney Corporation. So Ratatouille was actually Pixar's last film before they were fully incorporated into the Disney Corporation. And Pixar, as we know it, actually began as an independent animation studio with a good relationship with the Walt Disney Animation Studio. So it's like they were kind of like, you know, partners. During this time, the 90s and early 2000s, Pixar established their foundational technique of the brain trust on, built on the philosophy of filmmaker-driven films where collaboration between different filmmakers for the studio would be heavily encouraged to specifically differentiate itself from the typical Hollywood style of film production, where, like, producers put things together, like, factory style. 
This was why, and I'm sure we'll get into this later, Brad Bird, the director of The Incredibles, was actually brought on to direct Ratatouille, even though he wasn't initially interested and it wasn't his idea. So anyway, Pixar did some deals with Disney during this time. Pixar would make the films, Disney would market and distribute them, which sounds fair, right? Yeah. Yeah. That does sound That's, That fair. does sound fair. Right, because while the profits and the costs were split 50-50 between the two studios, Disney got the rights to the stories, the characters, and potential sequels, whilst mm. also skimming off a fee on top. That's... Yeah, that's not a very bug's life of Disney, is it? That is not cash money. (laughs) I mean, they're doing it for cash money. They are doing it for cash money. That's very cash money. Exactly. Mm, That is very cash money, but not cash cash money. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so Pixar started pushing back and asking for more rights because, you know, they were doing all the work and all Disney was doing was marketing and distribution. But somehow Disney were the people who kept the rights to the film because, you know, Disney, this is what mm. I'm talking about. It's really easy to dunk on Disney because they're not morally good. Philosophy student would like to weigh in. Yeah. Are they morally good? <laughs> I think objectively, the answer is no. <laughs> objectively, as a philosophy student, yeah. I'm saying that it's not good. Finally, a use for your degree. <laughs> Disney was like, fuck this. You want rights to your own films? Put those last two movies out, and then we're buying your fucking ass outright. And those last two films were Cars and Ratatouille. Now, Ratatouille was actually greenlit by Pixar during the Pixar pushing back phase, meaning that after Cars was supposed to be released in 2005, Pixar was free to fuck around with other distribution companies, such as Warner Brothers and a few other companies that had expressed interest. In fact, Ratatouille was the only Pixar film ever greenlit by Pixar without Disney, Then in January of 2006, the year that Ratatouille was supposed to come out, Pixar was just like, fucking fine, just buy us, you dumb dumb fucking mouse. So Disney had to distribute this uh, project, which they had no say in whatsoever, which is why people sometimes think that Remy being a rat is sort of like a little comment on the fact that it was supposed to be Pixar's breakout film after they'd gone off the shackles of their Daddy Disney phase. But, as we mm. all know, that didn't happen. That's fascinating. I didn't know that. So Remy being a rat is actually, um, uh, is, that, is that meant to be a dig? That's meant to be a dig at, at Disney? It's theorized. It's never really been confirmed, but it's, like, theorized, because the original concept was made in 2000, and that was in the middle of one of their deals with uh, Disney. Uh, and it was it was literally just called Rats, which you think about it, it's like, that's pretty... That, that sounds similar. Not similar. That's, like, that could be an analogy for uh, Disney. Cars and rats. Cars and rats. Rats and cars. <laughs> Rats driving cars. <laughs> Interesting idea. <laughs> Rats driving cars. Maybe you should pitch this to them. <laughs> yeah. Rats driving cars. Rats in cars. Yeah, so I actually find that really interesting that this, uh, not only all that behind-the-scenes corporate bullshit drama drove this film, but also the fact that the end result is artists which is animators filmmakers creating art about other artists which is chefs and the culinary profession and doing it in just such a reverent 
and beautiful way and putting a lot of effort into it, producing what they did under the time frame that they had because it was an extremely rushed production, but they still fucking killed it. But, like, coming off from that, Ratatouille was also, like, like it won a lot of prestigious awards. Like, didn't it win, like, the 2008, like, Oscar for, like, Best Animated Feature as well? And, like, mm. also, like, the Golden Globe Award and, like, the Annie Award and, like, all the, like, the film critics loved the film. And it's one of those, like, animations where it's strong in every aspect of filmmaking. Like, the direction, writing, voice, acting, music, sound, editing, visual effects. Like, literally every single part of it is amazing. And it's really interesting because a lot of, like, animated films use the voice actors... And the voice actors are mainly just actors, like Hollywood actors. But then these voice actors are actually in the voice acting industry. So they provide such a unique and different, like unique and professional perspective to it as well. That isn't just like Angelina Jolie speaking for like five minutes as a tiger. I do like Punky Panda, but it's just, you don't need (laughs) Angelina Jolie as a tiger and like Jackie Jan saying like three words in total. Absolutely. Actually, it's uh, there's an interesting thing because they couldn't. Brad Bird wasn't really satisfied with any of the people who had auditioned for the role of Remy, and then one day he was uh, listening to the radio and he heard Pat Oswalt doing a little bit of uh, stand up, and he's like, "That's it. That's the voice." So it was, and it was just because he's a comedic talent. It wasn't. Uh, because of anything he did. He didn't even audition. He's just like, this motherfucker on the radio, I want him to be this little rap man. Oh, that's really interesting. That's so that's so cool. Because I know I know who Pat Oswald is. Like I've seen some of his like stand ups like specials mm. and it's he's a pretty funny guy for a white man. It's mm. pretty funny. <laughs> Not bad. Yeah, but it's it's really interesting seeing how Ratatouille has always been a great film about art. And then it being juxtaposed by the fact that the art was being was going to be diminished by large corporations. Yeah, so interesting. It's such a interesting like it has so many layers to it, which I find so fascinating. Because even if like as you said, like the context of it and how Disney tried to really like definitely just bought out Pixar, mm. and Ratatouille being one of their last films where it was all like art and about the creators and about like the philosophy of filmmakers like you said before and now it's become such a huge commercial entity where you get all these big name stars voice acting and you know it's just like you like now like pixar's making frozen and shit and they're like yeah basically making merch out of that did i see any merch about ratatouille no, I saw no rat plushies. I saw no linguini plushies. I was it even a Ratatouille game. I don't know, maybe. But the amount of shit that came from that came out of from Frozen as well. I did not need to see Elsa and Anna plushies in literally every single Kmart store that I would go to. Mm. Am I going to be I mean, pedantic? Th- yes, I am. Uh, Frozen was actually a Walt Disney Animations. It wasn't Walt Disney and Pixar. Oh my uh, god! Uh, you fucking got me. <laughs> a better example. A better example of that merchandising would be Cars. Cars one, two, and three only exist for the car toys. It's 
I think they made so much more on merchandising than they actually did in the box office, which is why they will keep churning out Cars films. I remember I was eating McDonald's Happy Meals when I was like 10 years old or some shit. And they would give like car like toys in the McDonald's Happy Meal like toys. And I'll play around with it. I'll be like, vroom, vroom. Ciao, bitch. I got a dump truck. I got a dump truck. <laughs> I got a dump truck that I'll fuck. <laughs> you'll, you'll fuck your dump truck? Sure, why not? If there's any holes to go, I reckon. Mm, that exhaust pipe's looking pretty nice. I know, what can I say? <laughs> How do cars have sex in the how do cars have sex in the car universe? True, because I, I believe they were car babies. Oh. I'm I'm pretty sure they were. Anyways, um back on <laughs> They just pop out of the boot. Talking <laughs> 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 about what we were before, about um kind of Disney, this huge corporation uh kind of taking over genuine art and kind of reducing it to a commercial um into like bare commercial sort of product. I think uh, Ratatouille actually kind of uh, comments on that in a way, if you remember, with um, uh, Skinner's plans to uh, basically franchise and franchise uh, his restaurant, the Gusto restaurant, and turn Mm. it into a Chinese restaurant or a Mexican restaurant, Mm -hmm. all of these ideas. Um, I mean, basically, that's just kind of the idea of um, turning art from a genuine expression into like a money-making device. And I guess that that was probably a comment on, on what Disney was doing. Oh, and um, they also, during the production, they actually did go into a lot of work. Like, the animation team, they went to Paris because they weren't, like, making Paris. They were evoking the idea of Paris, which is great because you don't actually want to go to fucking France. You want to go to the idea of fucking France. Because fuck France. Anyway, they also did culinary classes. They learnt how the kitchen works, which is why it's just such a good representation of an industrial kitchen. They kept pet rats. They consulted somebody nicknamed the Rat Lady. They sent a producer to intern in a kitchen in California. And, like, some motherfucker, some poor goddamn intern, that's a lie, it was a producer, in a chef's uniform, jumped into a pool just to see what it looks like when it's wet, to, so that there was a reference for that scene when Linguini jumps in the river, what's it called? Whatever, the fucking river that's in Paris. Uh, the yeah, Seine. the Seine. The uh, some motherfucker... Some poor goddamn motherfucker in a chef's uniform jumped into a pool just to see what it looks like when it's wet to recreate that for a reference for that scene when Linguini jumps after Remy in the River Seine. Like, if that's not, if that's not what true dedication to your art and true passion to your art looks like, I don't know what is. Um... I want to talk about something completely different. I wonder how he would, he would tie it in. I don't know. You just, what is it about? I was, I was gonna um, touch on Remy, Remy being like um, uh, Linguini's sexuality. Oh my god! <laughs> okay, so basically, like, <laughs> Remy's wait, wait, wait. So, so okay, so here, here's why I had the the idea. So because um, so here's why I had the idea. Um, because so Freud who obviously isn't based. He's um, not cool. Not cool at all. I okay, yeah, this is another tangent, but I remember at the party 
we were talking about Freud and I was telling you I hate Freud. And you were like, I love Freud. Freud is so great. And I didn't know you were being sarcastic. So it was one of the first red flags that I saw. Yeah, oh my God. And so I was like, okay, um, that's really bad. Maybe yeah, I shouldn't good. ask this guy out on a date. I am very glad that you eventually got the sarcasm. Yeah, like fucking how many months before, like afterwards, like five or six? No, no, you eventually, no, you quickly realized that I was being sarcastic. I told you that I hated Freud after a while. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. Okay. Anyways, um, so I got this idea initially from Freud in terms of uh, if you have a dream or a joke and there is a little object that is insignificant when you're recounting it, that little object, I'm pretty sure, is meant to signify uh, your genitals. <laughs> Thanks, Freud. Um, anyways, but <laughs> yeah, I think I think Freud was just like, oh, I know, I have a little object down here. <laughs> Are you saying that Linguini's penis is Raimi? Um, no. You think Linguini's penis is doing all the cooking? No, so here's here's the thing. Is it Remy's cocking? The cocking. <laughs> no, so he, here's the thing. Here's why um, this idea developed for me. So I I don't I definitely like I'm not going to do a Freudian analysis of this at all. I, I think Freud's cringe, but basically I I think that Remy um, can be thought of in a way as Linguini's sexuality, and this film is kind of a um, uh, obviously the main character is Remy, and it's it's focused on. Uh, Linguini's sexuality and we kind of see through the relationship with Remy and Linguini and how it changes it we kind of see how um they they kind of grow into a relationship together and so basically how Linguini kind of comes to terms with and, and accepts his sexual sexuality in an interesting way like so in the beginning there's um there's kind of a discovery of each other I just I really I really like how if we are, if we are to consider like Remy to be Linguini's sexuality, it's kind of a mutual relationship. It's not just, you know, a person's se- uh, a person's relationship with their sexuality. It's kind of a, a mutual two-way relationship because both both kind of beings are very like uh, kind of ever evolving. Like your sexuality is kind of, you know, um, in flux, and so are you. What I what I think is interesting. So we see kind of for most of the film, Remy controls Linguini and he doesn't really um he he doesn't really have agency over over his body basically like um in order to do basically anything Remy has control over him and is pulling him by the hair which is a very like very evocative image and basically you know someone's kind of just being carried carried away by like perhaps their their desires and their lust or you know things like that um and they can't really um they can't really grapple with it and they can't really um, come to terms with it or have a healthy relationship with their own sexuality and then I think as it progresses oh and well um, another point uh, Linguini tries to hide Remy at all costs which is which is a very very interesting thing and I, I think that's that's certainly indicative of the way that um, we kind of try and in the west at least we try and kind of we have that sort of kind of um, don't uh, don't ask, don't tell sort of thing, you know. Um, I'm going to hide away my sexuality. I'm going to hide away, you know, um, any any kind of mention of it. Um, in the in the West, that's just kind of how people go about living every in in their everyday lives. Um, and that's Linguini really really tries to hide Remy, 
um, because it's kind of the source of all his drive. It's kind of, you know, where um, where his power is from in, in, in some way. And, and perhaps you could say that about sexuality as well. I like how as the film progresses, they kind of come to a more healthy relationship. Towards the end, Linguini doesn't need to hide Remy. And um, they kind of realize the place for each other um, in their existence. And I think that's kind of a coming to terms with sexu sexuality, I think. Only Ash could make a connection between Ratatouille and hiding sexuality. <laughs> I feel like you, that's only something that you would come up with. And it's very original. I've never heard of that before. Yeah. So obviously, they were, there's throughout the whole film, he's kind of exploring his sexuality by himself, but he's also kind of exploring it like... Colette. Yeah, in terms of another, in terms mm. of the other, in terms of his... Um, kind of desired partner it's really interesting to see how he tries to hide it from her um in every way he can and and so in some ways you know if uh the film kind of portrays sexuality as even more kind of extreme and even more intense than love because he's he's willing to say i love you before he's willing to show her his sexuality and it was Raimi that actually made him kiss her it's yeah, it's Remy that made him kiss her. Oh. So this is like this is why I think like Remy kind of drives everything that Linguini does in a mm. way, and that's why I really think it's kind of a, um, it's kind of a metaphor for Linguini's sexuality, mm. and and the film kind of stars Linguini's sexuality. Mm. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, one of the best parts about Ratatouille is the animation itself and how much detail they put into the animation. Like the amount of detail they put in the cooking and the way they, it's just in every single aspect. Like there's one part in the scene, which I really love is when um, Linguini fucks up the soup, right? And so when Linguini fucks up the soup, he's just kind of like grabbing shit and putting everything in. But guess what? Raimi fucking walks, pi walks past it. And he smells it, and guess what he does? He gags. Mm. Now, the thing is, rats don't gag. Rats don't gag, okay? They cannot, they can't, they don't have a gag reflex, and they can't, they, the, the, the body can't do that. So what Linguini made was so fucking horrific and so disgusting that he bypassed the natural physiologic, like physiological, the physiological, how do you say that word? Physiological. Physiological aspects of a rat. They should definitely, that should definitely be a phrase. Like this soup is so bad it made a rat gag. Yeah. <laughs> so, damn, that, that's so bad it made a rat gag. Like the fact that Linguini did that and the, that Raimi gagged must have been horrible. It was a really actually that's quite an iconic scene as well. Just the the, the rat gag, the yeah, ooh, the, the look on Remy's face. Oh yeah, my I remember god, that. it's such a good fucking frame. Yeah, it's a good frame. They actually had uh, gourmet cooks consult on the food and how it should look and how things should be set up and all that, as well as the detail on the animation that they did. They used the subsurface scattering effect that they used for skin in The Incredibles. And they put it on the food, especially the fruit. That's why the food just looks so goddamn delicious all the time. My God. Oh, the food looks so good. I know, it does. And even the names of the characters as well, like Linguini, yeah, Linguini is like a pasta, is a pasta or pasta. something. Linguini, yeah, Linguini's pasta. 
um, uh, interesting Skinner, um, I reckon is probably a, uh, a joke or like kind of a pun kind of thing, kind of, um, invoking the Skinner box, which is like, a um, something that rats are experimented in and tortured in, um, for science, the Skinner box. Um, and so basically in a Skinner box, you basically, you give, um, a rat, you know, a little treat if it does one thing or, you know, you can program it to do multiple different things. Basically you can program rats with a Skinner box, but yeah, that's just an, in I think maybe he Skinner's named after the Skinner box. Speaking of Ratatouille, what I found really interesting, apart from like literally everything else, like the animation style and the characterization of the rats is such a fascinating thing for me because when you look at the way they characterize the rats, right? Like the rats are meant to be human in a way where mm. like humans are meant to identify with the rats. And so to do so, like these rats need to cook. They need to do certain things. Like they, they're eating on like tables and shit at the end of the film because rats normally have like four paws. But Remy, Remy actually walks bipedally. He walks on like two feet and like he and he references saying it. Um, he prefers to walk on two feet so his hands don't get dirty when he's cooking. Mm. And it's really interesting because when you're walking on two feet and you're having your hands, it's a very human thing and rats aren't known to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. And also the way the rats have like, even the number of like fingers they have, like they have like five digits, right? Mm. Except... In Ratatouille, the rats actually have three fingers and an opposable thumb. So basically that makes them more humanistic and in that way. So then they can actually draw, cook, do certain things. And even like the same thing with rats' feet. Like they are also simplified as well. And so they have like three toes instead of five. So basically appearing more human whilst also being rat-like. Um, yeah, I have, I have a big spiel to go on about about this okay. in particular. Um, that was actually a very intentional choice by Brad Bird because after he replaced the original director, Jan Pinkava, um, when that was in production, all the rats looked very much differently. And Brad Bird was like, no, we have to differentiate them and we have to make the rats usually go on all fours so that when Remy goes on two legs... It's a choice. It's specifically a choice to emulate humans. And uh, the rats look more like rats. Remy is more of a compromise mm -hmm. between a rat and a human. And they're like, are you sure this is going to take so long to reanimate? This is going to make take so long to redo these character models? And it's like, yes. it was, And they were already on like a short time frame. So it was a very intentional choice. Very, very fascinating. That choice in particular. So what I think it's reflective of is kind of a comment on uh, perhaps you could call it um, um of Remy uh, in terms of... So basically, Remy, uh, Remy is born and he has this natural talent and this natural passion and this natural curiosity about cooking and about um, this particular art form. And he's basically told or he's basically shown that he can't be who he is and, continue, and, um, uh, and perform that art. And so basically he, it's, it's certainly like a class, um, it's a class comment for me in terms of um, there is no, like there's no place that our society affords for working class people to do art 
and to actually be successful in the art world. And so in a sense, they need to, they need to embourgeoise themselves or like kind of emulate richer, um, more educated people in order to be successful in different art forms. I, I, I seriously think it's a comment on that in terms of, so Remy's, like Remy's, uh, Remy's brother at one point, they're, they're, uh, Remy's brother's walking on four limbs and Remy's um, bipedally walking beside him and Remy's brother says, you know, why are you walking on, on two limbs? Why are you walking like them? Um, he's basically pointing out that in order to pursue who he is, Remy has kind of given up what it means to be a rat. Like that's definitely a very, um, very interesting kind of um, exploration of what it means to kind of follow uh, your personal ambitions as an artist and leave behind your community and perhaps your working class background or perhaps your family. And so I, I forgot who created the term embourgeoisement, but um, to me, that's kind of what it speaks to. Um, and just kind of like the lack of a place for art among work, like working class communities. And that's like a big like class boundary. The ability to actually engage with an art form is something that um, this film portrays as something that only um, the elites can do, only the humans humans what separated humans from other species is the ability to cook mm. and the ability to make food and season and all these culinary practices but the rat is also very distinct in a way because it is a very highly adaptable species and the physiological like the physiological the ph physiological aspects of the rat in many ways is very similar to humans which is why a lot of people and a lot of scientists use them for medical testing like medical testing and experimentation as well like a rat you could say in terms of what i was talking about in terms of class kind of a class discussion Rats were certainly chosen because, you know, the working class is seen as this monstrous kind of pest um, a lot and is seen as, you know, dirty and filthy sort of things that we associate with rats. There is something distinctly rat-like that Remy begins to lose as he tries to emulate humans and he becomes this strange hybrid creature, um, you know, walking on two limbs, speaking. Also yeah, reading. Reading. reads. Reading, kind of gesturing. He has sign language. Um... He cooks with his hands as well as any human does. Um, and in doing and like in doing that, he kind of loses his rat-like nature that you kind of see in the, in the beginning um, until um, until I mean, in that scene where he's walking beside his brother, you see two completely different creatures to me. You see one kind of human rat hybrid and then one rat. Yeah, uh, that. Uh, also highlighted in the scene just after the dinner service with Ego, where Linguini extends his hand out to Remy and Remy closes it and then turns to Emil and Emil's like, okay, come with me. And he's like, nah, buy Emil. And he goes off on his own. He is neither rat nor human and he's accepted that. He is secure in his individuality. Absolutely. And so I think that's like, that's certainly... The fact that they changed the character designs completely in order to make Remy more anthropomorphic um, definitely speaks to me in terms of they really wanted to make a statement with how Remy is kind of a hybrid and how perhaps um, people kind of need to um, emulate those, you know, more wealthy and from different backgrounds in order to actually succeed in a creative industry. I was just going to say, there's another point of it, which I found really interesting, was the fact that 
there's one point in the film where Remy's dad is like, wow, you look so thin. Why is that? And it's really interesting seeing that in like in some parts of Western society, looking thin is kind of like a healthier way of living and mm. it's more it seemed more beautiful that way. And it's kind of like a it's really interesting. That is interesting. So perhaps um perhaps in some way the uh, the rats um represent perhaps a cultural minority as well in, mm. in, in some sense, in terms of like um the fact that they're characterized as rats is is xenophobic. You know, um, these people kind of people are scared of rats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These kind of scary, ugly creatures that are dirty um, and have a culture that we don't understand. And perhaps like, oh, you look so thin. I mean, in in so many cultures, like looking, um, you know, looking bigger and you know more curvaceous and healthy is kind of um, more the norm, um, more the normative way of um, that bodies are. Mm. Um, and if you're not, and if you don't conform to that, then people are uh, more critical of you compared to in the West, where it's like, oh, if you're if you're thin, you're beautiful, and if you're mm. um, if you're chubbier, you're not. Yeah. Mm. Uh, another thing of thing about the embouchoisement is that there's specifically uh, that scene where Colette um, introduces Linguini to everybody in the kitchen, and he's like. That guy is being banned from Monaco. That guy ran away from the circus. That guy's done time. That guy probably killed somebody with his thumb. We don't know. And she's pointing out the fact that these chefs, these artists working in what was once a five-star restaurant, and it's now a three-star restaurant, they all came from nothing. And then that's in reflected in the story of Colette herself. Her, her establishing character moment is... Well, it's the putting the knives in Linguini's uh, chef's coat. Like, motherfucker, I had to work so hard to get here because I'm a chick. Just that. And it's like, we don't really know much about her background. We just know that she is a woman. And we don't know if she's upper class, lower class, middle class. We don't know that. We just know that she's a woman and she is working in a world dominated by men. Yeah, she's had to be really tough to get Mm. where she is, I guess, is, is sort of the the vibe that you get from watching her um and and that's that's actually a really interesting point about all of those characters who have backgrounds that are like seem lower class but i mean what what is really interesting to me is all those characters are really snobbish like um they they aren't initially very accept they aren't all completely initially accepting of linguini and they also um they also turn their back on Linguini um, towards the end, um, which is, well, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it, it like it is indicative of some level of snobbishness. It's some kind of like, oh, we can't have an animal in the yeah, kitchen. Because there's a rat um, in the sort kitchen. Of like, obviously, this isn't a real kitchen in real life. Like, this is, um, <laughs> you know, this is a this is a cartoon kitchen where, you know, rats gonna cook. Yeah, but also, like, in Western society, rats have always been seen as evil, ugly, and disgusting. Yeah. Like, they were, like, they were seen as intruders. And again, like, in Western society, you've got the Black Plague, which was caused by rats. And so, of course, there's a there's a, a large fear of rats being in the kitchen. And you don't want something that filthy and that kind of disease carrying inside your food. It's, like, a fear that many people have. Mm. But if you look at it from the rat's perspective... They need to have Romy as, you know, a poison like sniffer because they're because of that 
fear. On Ash's note about how they've cultivated a certain kind of snobbishness, that's probably not the word that I would use. What I would use is they know their skill level and they've cultivated it and they've cultivated a sense of quality. It's, of course there's inherent snobbishness in like a Michelin star kitchen. Like that's what people go for in the upper echelons of the, that class thing. They go for the snobbishness. But behind what the point is is behind the scenes it's like okay these snobbish people are only like that in this certain thing where they've you know cultivated a very specific skill set like you could call yourself uh snobbish about your art because you've cultivated that to an extent and to a very high mm, degree yeah i agree i agree and i feel like with art itself Radically also speaks on the artistic journey of the creator. So it's one of the few Pixar films, it was one of the only Pixar films that focuses simply about art and about culinary arts in particular. And it's about being an artist, developing as a creative and kind of discovering the passion that you have for what you create. And so we see that with Raimi, like he's like greatest, his greatest like barrier is the fact that he's a rat, but also his colony. And the fact that his colony doesn't want him to pursue his dream. So his father doesn't want him to be like a human. Yeah, but Linguini's problem is basically the opposite of Raimi. So Raimi wants to become an artist while Linguini is trying to replicate the art of his parent. Like when he finds out he's Gusto's son, he tries to be worthy to uphold the mantle, but he never does. And so he needs to rely on Raimi to kind of fill in that persona that he's created for himself. And you could also say that it's the other side of the coin where it's Remy has to work really hard and despite all the challenges to get a job, whereas Linguini gets a job through a little bit of nepotism. But it's not like nepotism of its the highest the highest degree it's like it's nepotism to be a garbage boy just because you know in a capitalist society you need money to survive and if you're taking out the garbage is what it takes so it's like two sides of the same coin it's not very it, they reflect each other basically and the journey of you know creating art and being artist is also the fear of criticism which is why Anton Ego is the perfect I'd say example of that like he embodies negative criticism and the idea of criticism itself because when you create art it's deeply personal it's deeply connected to who you are so when you have and it's very subjective right but when you create art and somebody looks at it objectively and from a different perspective and they destroy everything that you create it's radically addresses that fear and shows us ways to overcome criticism in that fear. You know what I mean? And like with Anton Ego, he is a critic who holds so much power over restaurants. Like he, like he even said, like Anton Ego was the man who might have killed Gusto and killed Gusto's restaurant because he didn't like the idea of anybody could be an artist, anybody could be a cook. You know, anybody could cook, and so. That's why the most powerful scene in the entire film is when he, like Anton Ego eats the ratatouille mm. and he remembers 
his mother and his childhood because that's what art is. Art is meant to evoke feelings. It's to evoke emotions within you that is meant to transport you into a space like what you know what you said about film Mm. and so that's what it it basically humbles anton ego and seeing that process of like a tight ass you know man who even even the looking at the most like the mise-en-scene of like the way you first see anton um the way he's kind of depicted and his room which mm. is like a coffin because he is the death of the death of the artist basically Mm, mm. Like his criticism is the death of the artist, which is why his room is like a coffin. But then you see later on when he's writing and he he realizes that anybody can cook. And, you know, it's really beautiful to see that kind of character development in such a short time. And that's why I think Ratatouille does that in such a beautiful way. And like in the end, like everyone's roadblocks are kind of lifted in that way. Like, you know, Colette, like Colette gets the respect she deserves in the kitchen and Linguini, you know, Linguini finds like some humility and he finds that he actually isn't a cook, but he's a great waiter. He's great at serving people. And Raimi's family like finally learn to support his cooking and, you know, they acknowledge that he's educated and they acknowledge that he has a purpose in life. And I feel like that's, one of the good things about Ratatouille is that it might not be realistic, but it sure is fucking wholesome. Mm. And another thing about that is when Remy picks out that recipe card of the Ratatouille and collects instantly, but it's a peasant dish. Remy doesn't know that Ego was a peasant or Ego started life as a working class kid. He didn't know that. He didn't know that Ego came from nothing, but it... It's that instant connection. It's that right piece of art hitting the right person at the right time to remind them and humble him and say, hey, remember your roots. Remember, you came from nothing as well. I think that's also reflected in that little monologue that we get uh, like mm. after that. I guess the, the idea that ego comes to realize that good art can come from anywhere um, is certainly like, that idea is given to him by the fact that he has come from basically anywhere and the dish has also basically come from anywhere. So he's given a peasant dish. He had very humble origins and he's sort of realized uh, as a result of this, he's come to a realization that the the art itself is, is sort of what matters as opposed to um, all of this kind of strange abstract criticism around it. Mm. Yeah. He, uh, he notices that, like, uh, one of the best quotes is, but the bitter truth we critics must face is that in the grand scheme of things, the average piece of junk is probably more meaningful than our criticism designating it, so. It is, and it's kind of, like, meta in a way, because our podcast is dealt on criticizing film, and it's dealt on kind of, like, picking apart and analyzing film. But seeing that it is, like... Our words are simply our words and they don't really reflect much about the creator. They're just what like they're just our objective opinions on it. And it could be subjective because some, you know, art forms can affect how we feel in some way. Mm. And so that's why, like, this is just a callback to Elliot's episode. But Elliot as a creator, he was involved in every aspect of the film. So when 
obviously, Elliot as a creator, if he gets film criticism on his film that he's created, it would hurt because it's something that he spent time and effort putting in into. So obviously, it sucks. And if somebody were to critique our podcast that we spent like hours working on each week to produce an episode, like obviously, it would suck. Like it would really hurt. But that's kind of just the process of being an artist and being a creator is being open to that criticism. Yeah, I see it as a process of learning. It's not It's not like, ah, criticism. It's, it blinds, it hurts. It's like, oh, okay, this is a way in which I can improve. Or this is an idea or a perspective that I hadn't considered. Yeah, okay, uh, so that's just about it for today. Uh, you can join us next time as we slowly si- slide into Christmas with A Nightmare Before Christmas. But until then, if you want updates, promo, shitposts, and hella extra content, you can find us on basically every platform. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and of course, Letterboxd. All of the de- links are in the description below. Or you can just fuck around and email us at asfilmstudentpod at gmail.com. I no longer care. But for now, I've been Nick. I've been Ron. I've been Ash. 